worshipped, so they said, the great old ones who lived ages before there were any men, and who came to the young world after the sea. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. I am here with my fellow co-hosts. I'm Innkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. Hey, and I'm Nathan from Instagram Arkham Horror Images of Madness, I guess. And it's an awfully crowded room in here tonight. Nathan, I feel like you should do the introductions. Me? There are three people in this channel that need no introduction. Spotlights are coming in, disco ball. Let's start with uh, the classic and OG kick-ass uh, celebrity, Maxine Newman. Maxine, take a bow. That was a hell of an introduction. Thank you. Uh, the globe <laughs> and the lights, yeah. Yeah, oh, uh, absolutely. If anyone's been living under an eldritch rock for the past 300 years, uh, Maxine is one of the main head honchettes of uh, Arkham Horror, the card game. I think you've made 110% of the content. Um, been with <laughs> us from the beginning. Not anymore. And quite honestly, we, we wouldn't be here today without your tireless efforts. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's oh, great to be here. Always. Uh, next, we've got uh, waiting in the wing, but uh, definitely not last. Uh, Duke, go ahead and uh, say hi real quick. Hey, I'm Duke. I'm the lead designer of Arkham Horror, the card game, and uh, it's great to be on. That was better than I could have done because I didn't know any of that. That is exactly correct, and that is why Duke is here with us today. Wasn't it? It's been almost a year, hasn't it? It must have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I, I was thinking back. I'm like, wow, it's been close to a year already since we... Since you hopped on to the, the Arkham Horrors. Wild. Wow. Yeah. It just flew by. Awesome. <laughs> and then the third shadow lurking in the background is none other than Nicholas Scott Corey of uh, Astral Tides fame, as well as Murder at the Excelsior Hotel. Nick, go ahead and stand up and uh, greet the crowd. Hi, uh, my name is Nick, and I am uh, a new designer on Arkham Horror, the card game. Thank you very much. But you're certainly yeah, not you. new to the community, are you, Nick? No, I was formerly uh, one of the hosts of the Mythos Busters podcast. Uh, I'm sorry, oh, they what? Kicked you out. Yeah, they, they they're like, <laughs> oh. fine. If you're gonna be designing, then you get out of here. And I was like, oh okay. shit, that that uh, that makes sense. Why I got the invite? I mean, that's oh, <laughs> I didn't even hear <laughs> Mythos Busters were like, you have to choose between us or designing Arkham Horror the card game. Yeah. And why is he leaving? Why is he starting? <laughs> is that a bird? Nick, is, is, is this your first? Uh, <laughs> Nick, is this your first podcast appearance since getting hired? Uh, no, we did um, very shortly after I was hired. We were on uh, Archivo State Arkham. Oh, so that's that right. was my first. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. That's right. Ooh. Also, great friends of the channel. Yeah. yeah. Why don't we just kick off into the questions themselves? So we have brought Good on idea, these Dave. lovely guests for for some Q and A and some interrogation, light interrogation, of course. You know, we <laughs> like to be gentle. Um, With the fluffy cushions. Exactly, exactly. I had a question for the three of you. Has the change in release model going from Mythos packs and campaign expansions? Has that changed the way that you look at telling stories within the game? And if so, how so? I mean, yeah, definitely. the The obvious answer is it it changes. Like before, we were forced to do linear storytelling, 
And it's not to say that every campaign moving forward is not gonna is gonna be completely nonlinear like the Scarlet Keys, but it opens so up a lot of storytelling opportunities for like we couldn't do a story before where you could like skip a scenario, for example, because that's a mythos pack. Like you waited a month for that, you know what I mean? And then if you get it and you're like skipping it, like that doesn't make any sense. So like before the conceit was, you know, every month is gonna be a chapter of this story. And now the conceit is we're gonna tell you a story. That's it. Like, <laughs> and there's even, I think I brought this up in at some other point, but even the change in the release model has changed. Like, you know, Maxine, I remember working on Innsmouth with you. We had to make sure that the deluxe box with all the encounter sets that were going to be in the campaign was mm-hmm. like done before we had, before we were able to necessarily like solidify, you know, the finale or something like that. You had to think really, really yeah. far ahead. So. Yeah, it, that that was a big complication back in the day. We had to, because the, the deluxe box would um, would go to production while we're still working on the cycle. Um, so at a certain point, we'd get to a point where we could not go back and change the encounter sets. Like, it's too late to change them. We don't have that problem anymore, which is kind of nice. Can vouch. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's handy. <laughs> so I just want to say exclusive, um, there will be more campaigns based on what what you all said just now. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we we hired a new designer. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. No offense at all to Drawn to the Flame, Mythos Busters, Miskatonic University Radio, oh whatever. God. You heard it here f- first. I'm just Can saying. We just preview a new card. <laughs> <laughs> People still think there's no cards coming up. <laughs> like uh, we were holding it in our hands. Is that not good enough? No, okay. rest assured, um, Duke and Nick have been hard at work. I just got a, a question in. I'm I'm looking at the live feed. Mm-hmm. We have a RSS feed set up so that anybody in the world can ask questions. Uh, someone just asked, will there be a sequel to Barkham Horror? Uh, unfortunately, I, mean, I can neither confirm nor deny any, any Barkham content. I would definitely agree, although I would say that the story is not done in your hearts. So I would really like to see the next entry on Archive, mm. archive of Our Own, if you would mind publishing that, whoever wrote that <laughs> lovely question. And by pure coincidence, for those listening, we are recording on the 31st of March. April 1st marks the anniversary of Barkham Horror, at least when it was announced for fake before it became a real set. <laughs> Wasn't that the thing? Like it was an April Fool's joke initially? Yep. 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 Yeah, that was so unique. I really like that. So- I still remember, like, still remember that like it was yesterday. Being like, we want to do something for April Fools. Like, do you have any ideas? I was like, Barkham Horror, and they were like, we love it. And I was like, wait, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, can't, all I can say I can't is claim uh, uh, full credit for Barkham. There's actually other people's ideas, but it's fun. I have a very sweet Malamute named Samwise, and he does love playing Barkham Horror with me if I lure him with treats to the table. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in my room. That's adorable. You got puppy. I'm surprised they don't just want to knock all the cards down. That's what my cats want to do. Yeah, he. I mean, he was going straight for the treats, and then it was all, all downhill from there for the cards. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so, Maxine, other than Barkham, were there any other standout moments or releases throughout the years for Arkham Horror? I mean, it's kind of felt like every year every new product that we make is like big standout moment for me it's hard to pick one barkham was really unique so it definitely stands out but like i don't know for me i i almost feel like the original like 2016 like core set curse of the rougarou release that was such a big moment 
in like my career and in my life. I remember giving that that dumb presentation that we did <laughs> and like everyone was there playing at the game center. It was great. Oh, and um the first time we did blob epic multiplayer, that was that Ooh, was really cool. That's yeah. a good one. Because when we play tested blob, like we play tested it epic multiplayer, but we couldn't get more than like twenty or forty twenty or thirty people to play test it. So we had no idea how well it was gonna work at like 80, 90 players, right? <laughs> Did you ever think it would reach the hundreds of players? No. No, I never did. I thought we'd get like 40 people and then like maybe 60 people on Sunday. No, it was like 80 and like 120. (laughs) (laughs) And it worked. It was not not just worked, but it worked like so well. Like all three of those games that first weekend went down to like the minute mark. Like they were so close. Mm -hmm. It's great. You, You can concur confirm this right nick you you were there weren't you uh yeah i actually played in the friday and the saturday games of blob and it was it was a very smooth experience i had a lot of fun being a part of that i wasn't part of the the you know the record-breaking 120 player game Mm. uh, (laughs) but it's not surprising at all to hear that it went off very easy very smoothly from the perspective of the organizers I was definitely in one of those games that weekend and yeah it Mm. was a ton of people Mm. uh there was so yeah. many people. I was going to say, um, this the community in Spain actually put together like a 200 person blog. Oh, yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah was they told me about That's that. so cool. And there's been massive online blob events. I think when we did, oh, yeah. I, I can't remember if it was Farcomcon. I can't remember what stream event it was. I think it was, was Farcomcon. I think it yeah. was Farcom. And there yeah, was like, like did several have hundred. Them. Yeah. It was crazy. And it's just it's so cool to like see see the community like rally around those like really massive multiplayer scenarios and have them mm. be yeah. like such a huge hit. And fun fact, I have served green jello at every uh, blob <laughs> scenario that I run. That's so <laughs> the, the blob one. It's it's interesting before blob. I mean, did you did you ever think that or did you ever intend for Arkham to be playable with more than just four players like is it seemed like such a risky design um but it works so so great yeah it definitely i mean back in like 2016 we were working on arkham for the first time like no there was no way like we didn't even think it would be playable with five players you know what i mean was actually because of lord of the rings that got me thinking about that um, cause we had talked about, like, I had talked about doing like, oh man, wouldn't it be cool if we had a Lord of the Rings scenario where there's like a big dragon or something and you have to fight it with like, you know, everyone at the event is fighting the same dragon. And I was just like, wait, don't do that. <laughs> cause I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, eventually they, we, we did do something similar with the, um, um, dreadnought scenario in mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Which was uh, a ton of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, the first time I met you, Maxine, was at Gen Con. I remember. And that was awesome. It was, uh, was awesome. meeting <laughs> a very influential game designer coupled with getting to play uh, Guardians of the Abyss. Mm. I remember we played my yeah. random group that I was able to squeeze into because someone canceled. Uh, we played for four hours and we were one of the last groups and you just kind of sauntered up and you were just kind of bemused and watching. And I was like, How's it looking? And you were like, oh, oh, interesting, because no one else has done that path. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and no one else has tried to just, like, fight the end boss. Oh, yeah. okay, well, crap. But <laughs> good memories, good memories. It's awesome. Did you win? Uh, yeah, we actually did. It was a grind, but worth it. 
Dick, um, you are obviously the the most recent addition to the team. Coming into this, being a, a big fan, being part of the podcast, knowing uh, Maxine for so long, and also having, of course, come up with and and I don't know co co design main designed uh, Murder at the Excelsior. Hmm. What is your addition to the team? Are you one of the the writers for the new campaigns and content? Are you a play tester along with that? Like, just tell us a tiny bit so that we can kind of see behind the curtain. Sure. Well, um, I mean, I'm I am one of the designers, so Duke and I share a lot of the responsibilities of working on Arkham. So everything from player card design, scenario design, uh, narrative development, narrative writing, any anything that goes into developing. Arkham Horror, the card game, uh, up to this point, at least, I have shared in that. Uh, one, I'm sure a point will come when Duke is like, why did you write this? We can't let you. No, don't let him near the keyboard anymore. Um, but for no. now, <laughs> for now, uh, tell him. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's I've I've been I've been fortunate enough to be able to participate in pretty much every level of development for Arkham Horror. Very cool. Well, uh, Maxine mentioned uh, linear design and then being able to expand on that with the new release uh, structure. So Duke and Nick, your approach to storytelling in Arkham, how does that work and what type of stories are you most interested in telling? Well, I, I would say that whenever I start with a story, I always think about the characters and the place in the story and how I want those to be portrayed and, and what I want those like to get across in the art and the writing. Mm-hmm. And even the gameplay, especially the gameplay, like that's one of the things that I think makes Arkham Horror shine is how the story sort of is woven into the characters and the enemies you're fighting and they express who and what they are and where you are. And so I would say that any of the stories that I've wanted to tell and that I try to tell are first and foremost rooted in character and like just asking like, what is the coolest thing we can see here? Or what is something that'll take my breath away and other people's breath away when we think of it or imagine it or see it? So that's that's what I think I bring to the approach. Yeah, Are you I'm, saying that it has to deal with Whitney Houston at all? Well, you know, <laughs> if you Doesn't register everything? Lines, yeah. Okay. No, that's cool. What doesn't have to do with Whitney Houston? <laughs> Point! Duke! No, and I, I'm very much in the same camp as Duke. Like, character is a big thing for me. Um, and luckily, Arkham is it's such a robust uh, system and, and setup that there's a lot of different stories that can be told within the mechanics of Arkham Horror, uh, beyond even the type of stories that have been told already. And so the only thing I really have to add to what Duke said is that it's just it's really exciting to come into this at such a late stage and still see a lot of potential, uh, you know, on the horizon, a lot of things that we can still do with the game, despite it having been out for seven years now at this point. And I mean, one of the things that Maxine has really impressed on me, and I think you too, Nick, and Mm -hmm. on the community playing the game is like, not being satisfied with the status quo, asking, well, what have we not seen yet? What's what's something new or something cool we can press into? And that's definitely something I want to ask in any of the stories that we tell. So by asking that question, are you looking at ideas for projectile weapons that uses <laughs> lung power? Uh, wait, that use lung power? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> so like you want to say a blowgun is the only thing making Arkham not the best game of all time. Okay, we want to get it to number one on the BGG rating. 
Challenge accepted, good sir. <laughs> the fans want something right, we'll, we'll circle back to that. <laughs> you have been asking I, I, for that damn blowgun since episode one, Nathan. <laughs> yes, I have. And what, what, what year is this now? 2023. I've been asking for this since 2004, Maxine. Wow. <laughs> I even work for the company. That's not the point. <laughs> Stop <laughs> evading. You're like, I was still in high school at that point. <laughs> No, um, you know, that actually leads into another question that is it, this is a tangent, but this one is fired directly at Maxine off the port bow. Mm. So apparently long ago, you said that you didn't want to do fan maids because you yeah. didn't want to taint your creative space. Right, right. Now well, you're it, not leading Arkham. Is that something you want to explore a bit more? Yeah, it's, it's, it was, it's less about like tainting my creative space so much as like. You know, I, I want I want the content creators out there who are making like their own custom content to know that like if I come up with an idea that they also came up with that I was just two great minds thinking alike. Like I'm not looking at their stuff. I'm not copying off people's uh, um, I'm not cheating off of people's uh, homework. You know what I mean? Um, mm. And also for me, like I want to come up with my own ideas. Um, so yeah, it, it is something that I could look into now uh now that i'm not working on arkham anymore i probably will take some time i think because i think like if two or three years pass and now i'm coming back into like the arkham scene with like a fresh perspective i'll probably enjoy that stuff a lot more for me arkham still feels a little bit like like work right now yeah no i, I mean, totally get it it will be really cool to finally be able to like play some custom campaigns and like play some custom investigators and like get that feeling that players have had for six years of not knowing what's going to happen. That's exciting. I got that a little bit because I've, you know, played through some of the stuff that um, Duke and Nick have been working on. And that was pretty cool because I got to play through it and be like, oh, I actually don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. Well, that's pretty cool. That actually leads me into my next question for you, MJ, is is, as someone looking from the outside in, what, what strengths do you think that Duke and Nick uh, have in their in their concepts and in their designs that maybe you might not find in yourself. I think um, I think the biggest thing is just a fresh perspective. Um, I've been working on the game nonstop, literally like twenty four seven for years, and I have more ideas that like I could have been working on this game for another six years. I'm sure, but coming at this with like completely with that, I see in Duke and Nick the same hunger that i had when i first got hired that same like that creative drive that passion and that's really important and like i want that to feed into the game and i think it's going to for sure and also of course like bring with them their own skill sets and their own perspectives that are unique to them um that i don't have so it's just yeah (laughs) it's gonna be great so a question from Christian, and I apologize if I mispronounce it. Christian? Yeah, it's yeah. easy. Uh, this, one, this one is kind of a, a tough question. Uh, it says, when people talk about great scenarios in Arkham, no one ever mentions the final scenario of any campaign. I don't know that that's true. But, what? Uh, why are exactly <laughs> Nate named him, his channel after one of those scenarios? But anyways, uh, why are these scenarios less satisfying and can that be addressed? So I will say there is a phenomenon in 
not just Arkham, but in in a lot of uh, campaign based gaming, uh, video games, board games, all of it. The the first scenario, like the first thing that you work on is going to get playtested to death. And the final thing that you work on is going to get playtested the least. It's not going to not get playtested. It's going to get playtested. But ultimately, there's going to be less eyes on it just because of the timeline, right? If something's due in six months and it takes you three weeks per scenario, then by the time you work on the final scenario, there's less months of playtesting left. So there have been instances where, you know, we've gotten to the end of a campaign and the final scenario just probably could have used a little bit more playtesting. But ultimately, I, I, I do think that a lot of the final scenarios hit exactly where we wanted them to. There have been a few where, like, yeah, I could... I mean, every scenario in the game I could keep working on forever to make it perfect, and it will never get perfect. There's there's a few that I think people definitely do point to as being, like, their favorite scenario. I can definitely recall from my own experience playing Down Into the first time when I hit the, you know, Lost in Time Mm -hmm. and Space finale, I was just overcome with how crazy and just creative all the all the art in that was and and kind of what it was doing it was asking me to do something i was terrified of doing so i guess i mean just to weigh in from my perspective it might i mean i could see some players who didn't jive with all the mechanics of a campaign or or thought that the campaign was asking too much of them or or didn't enjoy some of the central pieces that might have been wrestled with in that campaign might come out and not be as satisfied with the finale of that campaign but I don't know. Just said they didn't want us to go over the spoilers. That's why I assume people <laughs> didn't talk about the last. But like, scenario. come on, man! Like it, the final scenario of Dunwich, you can be in space with a lightning gun. <laughs> like, what is wrong with you people? You the whole damn time. So I wonder if the question is more mechanics than story wise, because I, I don't know. I find the the last scenarios very satisfying. Like, um, pretty much every campaign has had a satisfying ending story wise. But um, mechanically, I, like as I was reading this question, I'm, I started thinking like, I wonder if it's just also something to do with the difficulty of balancing it. Because the first scenario of each campaign you have, it's not just the playtest, although that was a great answer, Maxine. But um, I was thinking like the first scenario, you know, everyone's coming in with zero experience points, uh, level zero cards, so on and so forth, except mm-hmm. Father Mateo, who's the best and starts with five XP. Ah! Down, Italy, 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 Italy. They did their best. Shoddily, Italy, Italy, Italy. Gotta be nice. Hostility, Italy, Italy, Italy. But the final scenario, you can have such a disparity. Like, you can have some yeah. players who played through a campaign and earned 30 experience points with no trauma. And you can have people with a ton of trauma and very little experience points. And it's such a, like, hard thing to balance at the end. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, like, also, Arkham is a game with a really high skill ceiling. Like, there's a big gap between, like, a new player who's just started playing for the first time and someone who's been playing for years, which is good. That's how it's designed to be. And that skill gap only gets bigger and bigger and bigger the more experience points you have in your deck. Because, you know, a skilled player with a 40 experience deck is a monster, right? So yeah, you're, you're totally right. Like, it's it's hard to... um When you get to that, that final scenario, it, it could go in any direction based on like your performance and to a certain extent it, it kind of should right it should kind of mirror how it's been going for you true like you should be rewarded for your hard efforts if you've been really doing well i mean i think there's also a thematic you know aspect to that as well it's like you are fighting giant eldritch monsters like do you really think you should <laughs> like have an easy victory 
Yeah, most Lovecraftian storytelling, it's pretty much it's the odds are so stacked against you, anyways. Mm-hmm. So it does that, kind of yeah, play that's to always that. been that's always been a tough thing to like balance. Um, you know, most enemies in the game have an average of like two and a half hit points. You know, um, maybe maybe three hit points, but like when you get into the finale, like it would be absurd to have you know an ancient one with like five hit points um, or rats. Yeah, yeah. Rats, yeah, but like at the same time, you you know, it still has to be like winnable. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, if this were a true Lovecraftian game, you know, a final boss of every campaign would have like five hundred hit points. That would just not be fun. What you don't want to throw a bunch of hundred difficulty tests there at the end, Maxine? <laughs> not unless there's some other way to win. Like, you know. <laughs> no, that, that that actually sounds fair. I think it was the point there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so we have a couple of questions from patrons of the show. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start with Solar J, who asks uh, all of you, what personally attracts you or engages you with the mythos? If you could spend time with a character or entity from the mythos, and I'm gonna add from Arkham as well, uh, to learn more about them, who would you choose? Your sanity would be protected, of course. And who or what would you never want to meet? Why don't we start with you, Nick? Um, what a okay. So there's there's like three questions here. What attracts <laughs> me to the mythos? Uh, well, I'm I'm a big fan of horror stories just in general, uh, and that's that, especially the ones where the horror is a mystery. Um, like one of my favorite horror movies of all time is Alien. And the monster yes. doesn't show up for the first 45 minutes of the movie. And you don't really get a good look at it in the course of that movie either. So a lot of that, they really, you know, they keep that mystery going throughout the whole film uh, pretty masterfully, masterfully, I would say. And that's what attracted me to the Cthulhu mythos originally was this idea that like that there are these entities and these these things that exist that uh are massive both like on a physical scale and also just in what they can do and what their their powers and their domains are like they're truly like godlike creatures but nobody knows about them and like how how can that happen how can that be a case where where cthulhu lives on earth but nobody knows about him you know and and so that's kind of at the very beginning that's what drew me to the cthulhu mythos so when it comes to who i would want to hang out with from arkham and who I would not want. To, well, the list of who I would not want to hang out with is pretty long. There's a lot of a <laughs> lot of things and, and enemies and stuff like that in, you know, throughout the course of Arkham Horror that I'm like, no, they, they can stay in the card. That's fine. But I'm I have an answer and it's going to seem like a meme answer, but it's not a meme answer. Well, I guess it kind of is. Uh, I would love to hang out with Monterey Jack to hear all the <laughs> yes. amazing stories that he has <laughs> from Globetrotting uh and and all of that because he is he's he's always on the move and he's like he kind of bridges that gap between pulp arkham and the horror part of it uh and i think he would have a pretty unique perspective base do you do you know who he's talking about uh, no I, i've heard of hamburger jack yeah yeah <laughs> he hangs with grumpy grandpa too but... <laughs> <laughs> well nick you happen to be in luck because uh, myself, Monterey Jack, happened to be here in the podcast oh, today. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! This man made of cheese. Jack. Oh, a declaration of independence. I'm actually oh, dying right now. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Duke? I'm not sure where I've said this before, but 
So I was an English major in college, so I have lots of great BS that I can throw at you about why I feel a certain way about literature or art or something. But this is not BS. I would say that for a long time, I've always liked creepy stuff, uh, interest, like weird stuff, um, the unknown, unsolvable mysteries and stuff like that. And I think one of the things that's at the core of the mythos is, um, I'd say that fear and wonder, which are both things that Lovecraft had in equal measure, were both put into his stories. They're both related to the unknown. You feel wonder at things you don't understand or that are beyond you or bigger or greater than you. But you can also be terrified of them, just as Lovecraft was terrified of a lot of stuff. So I'd say, like, for me, personally, I find myself chasing moments where I don't know where I am or where uh, I'm in the presence of something that's greater than I, be it a mountain or an elder god. And so that's a big driving factor for me is I think the mythos just has so many corners that are unknown, that are beautiful to think about and also horrible to think about and maybe not think about. And as for me, for like a character or entity that I'd want to spend time with, it would probably have to be, uh, gosh, I, my first gut, gut instinct was to say La Chica Roja because she's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> so great uh i mean we would just go we'd probably steal you know like the louvre one week and then steal you know <laughs> the jewels of the king of germany uh, that's not a anyways um <laughs> we'd go on a lot of adventures i think that'd be great and of course i would say that i would never ever ever want to meet brown jenkin he's oh, horrifying god. oh god i don't oh, i don't want to get my <laughs> leg not on but, but like every time he came out in the card game, like we even developed this voice for him. He was like, Jinky, I'm here for you guys. <laughs> like just had this very like weird, how are you doing? Guy here. Anyways. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's me, Brown Jenkins. Oh, no, it's bad. I'll never not hear that when I say hello. That's a great impression. Oh, thanks. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so I guess it's my turn. I, I too, uh, unsurprisingly, have always enjoyed horror. I'm going to say something controversial, though. Probably, like, Lovecraft's stories were, like, low on that list for a long time. I was more into video games, so I grew up with, like, Resident Evil and Silent Hill. And, uh, and also, like, horror manga um, back in the day. But the one thing that did resonate for me with Lovecraft's stories, most of which I read in, like, high school, was the... Just th this idea, this concept that, like, everything we know, everything we love, everything we are, it's all just, like, like a meaningless speck of dust in, in the grand scheme of the cosmos, right? That was always really, like, compelling to me in, like, a terrifying way, but, like, in a way that really spoke to me. I guess, like, that's what drew me in to, like, the greater mythos. And then, as far as, like, which character I would want to meet, I mean... Let's be honest. It's it's Delilah. <laughs> it's Delilah. <laughs> nice. I mean, wise choice. Obviously, knows what the lights are Probably. like in New York City. <laughs> Maxine, you have a type. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, and then, as far as like someone I wouldn't want to meet, oh god, I would say the man in the pallid mask. And That's it's not a good because choice. he would do. Yeah, it's not because he would do anything scary. It's because the second you see him, you know. Like you're marked. Yeah. You're already he, going insane. Like your world is just gonna fall apart at the seams from that point forward, you know? Yeah, he's the harbinger of doom. 
He really is. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good. Second you see him, you like start losing everything. You know, so. I'm surprised no one picked Jenny. She's rich. Why wouldn't you want to hang out with Jenny? <laughs> Or Preston. Yeah, Jenny's cool, but let me tell you about my girl Delilah. <laughs> <laughs> she's Jenny's rich really and is threatening. Looking for her sister, you know, she's really busy. I don't think she'd have time to hang out. Yeah, yeah, Jenny's all about that family drama, and I okay, just can't. let's be let's be honest though. Delilah also did not have the time <laughs> or interest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, have you seen what's all, in the I boot? Would all, I would be all doe-eyed, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, it's you!" And she would just be like, "Get on my face." Okay, I'm changing my answer. Actually, it would not be whatever character I said, and it would be Silas Marsh because I'm in love mm-hmm. with Silas Marsh. That's the reason. Oh, <laughs> ah, there you go. <laughs> yep. Maxine, uh, segueing right back to you. Um, somebody had asked what your favorite stat line is for an investigator, and why is it 3333? Three, three, three. <laughs> he needs to go to bed when he asks questions like that. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Actually, is one of my favorite stat lines, but I, I think for me, my favorite stat lines are always the ones where you have a little bit of flexibility, but you also have some weird thing going on, some weird sacrifice. Like, I like Diana, I like Calvin, um, I like Amanda, I like all those characters who have a lot of versatility and a lot of flexibility in their stat line, but also their stat line is like not static, like it's 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 like moving and it's weird and it's. What you need it to be at any moment that's the skill in piloting that character you know what i mean i think calvin is still one of my favorites after all these years mm. calvin's great i still love the art from that from one of his cards yeah until um, the end of time oh, until the end of, it's so actually good. right now it is my mouse pad i have this big play mat that oh, i awesome. printed with that artwork and it's right now as i'm sitting in front of it it's still right in front of me i love that art i just yeah. I, I love calvin because he's so great to like kind of fumble around at the beginning of the game and then when business gets serious <laughs> calvin's your boy he's got you i think i think duke and nick can confirm that my favorite stat line is anywhere between one 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 and six 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 yeah oh yeah i think so yep confirmed <laughs> well i got a question for you duke also from jp uh, he asks, if you could redesign one scenario for Markham that you had no part in designing whatsoever, <laughs> what would it be? <laughs> and what would you do? I know this is like putting coals under your feet, but... <laughs> uh, you, you're not, you're not, you're not going to insult me. Go for it. I was hoping I could, but okay. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, you totally can. I'm saying I'm, I'm, you can't penetrate this thick skin. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it wouldn't be necessarily to improve it, but one thing I always really liked, I did work on Insmith Conspiracy with you, Maxine, but I didn't, you know, I only got to do Light in the Fog. I did, yeah. I, hand in it, I had a hand in like playtesting and, and working on some other things, but like, I really liked the vanishing of Alina Harper. I thought it created a really mm. cool, like clue-like uh, atmosphere. I guess if there was anything that I would want to add to it, I, I really liked the sense of, I recently replayed it through. And I really love the sense of, like, Innsmouth is there, and there are all these suspects. But I would probably, I don't know, if I got to work on it a little bit further, I would definitely want to find a way to kind of dig into those characters a little bit more and get to know mm-hmm. them, or, like, get more of a sense of Innsmouth as a place. Because every, every piece, every location in that made me want to go explore it more and see what, was more, what more was there. So that would be that my was, answer. That was a tough challenge, because I agree, and, like, I... 
I I almost wish that Innsmouth had been like a some weird like 12 scenario long campaign so I could have visited. <laughs> like each one yeah. of those locations almost could have been a scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had the same feeling working on um Search for Kadath. Mm-hmm. Cuz it's like there's so many locations in there that could be their own scenario. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah. there was just too much ground to cover and we had we had a story to tell. So Well, I don't think there wouldn't be a reason you couldn't go back to them at some point in the future. You know, like you said, there's still a a lot of story to tell at those locations. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, but yeah. there's there's always there's always the ability to tell another Innsmouth story. There's always the ability to tell another Dreamland story. Dreamlands especially. There's mm-hmm. so much Huge. there. Huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I hope this game goes on for like ever. Ever. Yeah. So you're saying there's gonna be another campaign. <laughs> Once again, exclusive part two, same podcast, same people. So, so there is another kiss. Yes. Okay. I'm ready. I'm All right. Speaking and- of the story being there, uh someone named William Young has had a question for a long time that's bothered him. So let's oh. get this poor gentleman an answer. Is there a historical lore reason for Finn the bootlegger to have a rope? I don't know why um, that's bothered him so much, but <laughs> I, I, I I know the I know the actual practical reason, but it's not what you think it is. Okay, hmm. because my initial practical you know reason was going to be like, oh yeah, he's got a boat and he needs to tie the boat to the dock so that he can put the oh. bootlegging stuff in the boat and then hmm. untie that rope from the dock so he can go back out to sea and that is continue much, his bootlegging. That's a much oh. better reason than what I was going to say. Oh, please. Oh. What was it? <laughs> well, okay. So a lot of the old school, like I'm talking like Arkham second edition art or some of the older investigators was originally used in like the Call of Cthulhu CCG back in the day, right? As just random characters. So you'd, you'd see like if you go back and you play the Call of Cthulhu CCG, I'm talking like years ago, right? Before it was even before the concept of an LCG existed. Mm-hmm. Um, you would see like just a random scientist and it's like, that's um, Kate Winthrop. Like at the time, Kate Winthrop didn't exist. It was just a random scientist. And then when we went, well, when not we, because I wasn't with the company, obviously, but then when they made Arkham Second Edition, they used a lot of that artwork for the investigators, you know, gave them a name, slapped that art on them. And, you know, a character is born um, with Finn. That artwork was originally like like a monster hunter and he had like uh like a body part slung over his shoulder or something mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they edited the artwork to like they you know edited out like the blood and the body parts and stuff and turned it into just a dude with a rope and that became finn interesting wow okay that was actually way more interesting than i thought it was gonna yeah. be <laughs> yeah william like, actually that was a good like, question holding... yeah he's like very clearly holding something slung over his shoulder so they were like I guess we'll make it a rope. I don't know. I wasn't part of these conversations, so I don't actually know how it came about. Maybe they had a really good, like, a reason like what Duke said that's like, oh, he should have a rope because bootleggers use rope. But um, all I know is I've seen those two art pieces side by side. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I, mean, um, I can tell you actually, it would have been very awkward for him to carry around a dissevered tentacle everywhere he goes. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have been kind of weird. He had good the rope with him. So if he got arrested, he could attach it to soap. 
That's what I read from the official sources. Mm. Huh. That makes sense. Um, and kind of piggybacking on the unnamed characters, recurring characters, and then those that artwork turning into investigators. Um, I think this can be a broader discussion later on at some point. But uh, Nicholas Fellenberg first praises MJ, says, thank you for creating a brilliant foundation of a game system that amazing designers will use to tell fantastic stories for decades. Oh. Oh, uh, the question is what can you tell us of recurring unnamed characters that appear in artwork out of all the cards and briefs with recurring characters, which ones did you have the most fun designing? Well, I will say there's not a lot of recurring, like unnamed characters in the artwork. Usually they are just like random investigators. And by investigators, I don't mean characters. I mean like random people that we're just throwing in to like be in this situation as like placeholders. We did that at first a lot to for a couple of reasons. One, so that the artists didn't have to draw likenesses. And two, so that we could like depict a wider variety of characters, um, different different genders, different ethnicities, like uh, in all of these situations without just reusing the same, you know, same cast of like 50 characters over and over and over again. So anytime we're not depicting an investigator, we're usually just depicting some person that we just made up off the top of our heads. And it's not usually a recurring character. But sometimes people will see that artwork and assume it's like, oh, that's Kate Winthrop because, um, you know, the hair. And it's like, oh, no, that was never meant to be Kate. Like, I'm just sitting here like, no. <laughs> um, and it's always really funny to see, like, which characters they latch on to. There's that character on... Um, What's the what's that card? Radiant Smite. Yep. Like everyone loves her. And I'm just like, oh man, that is cool. Like we should use her more. <laughs> <laughs> um, there have been a couple characters that we've um like uh Nikosi. He was the the guy on the art for Defiance. And at the time that was just a random, you know, um random character I made for for an art brief. And over time, we, we were looking for more allies to add, to add to the game. And I was like, oh, let's just make that guy a character. Like, let, let's make him like a real, you know, real person with hopes and dreams. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting how some how people get attached to certain characters and certain artwork and even some characters that just people just fall in love with them for for whatever reason that may be or allies too, you know. And sometimes there's a question in here somewhere. I can't find it, but. There was someone had a question about um, allies possibly getting like a side quest and getting their own investigator card just for an alternate universe or an alternate card or something. <laughs> and I think that's a really cool idea. I mean, there's I know I love Olive McBride and there's a lot of allies that I really, really like and wish were had their own like investigator card. And I, I wonder if uh, have you guys ever considered turning some allies into investigators? And is that something like once you cross that line of making an ally also an investigator, is that something that could throw everything off? There's, there's definitely been talk of like, oh man, wouldn't it be cool if such and such character was an investigator? Ultimately, it's always like a much bigger deal adding an investigator to the cast. It requires a lot of meetings and conversations and because the investigators are like the core of the franchise, like the entire IP. Um, it's like one of the main things that we can point to to call Arkham Horror our own, right? So when we make an, a new investigator, it's a big deal. 
a lot of consideration, care, and thought goes into those characters, like, far more than any ally that we've ever made. So if we ever did, like, promote an ally to an investigator, it would be a big deal, and it would require just as much care and consideration as a brand new investigator. Not saying it would never happen, but, you know, it's definitely, like, a big deal. It's not something we can just, like, do at the drop of a hat. And sorry for hogging all this time asking questions. This really interests me a lot for, <laughs> for some yeah. reason. But so so you're saying there's when you guys meet for, for to create a new investigator, it's is it like creating a character in a movie where they have this huge backstory that the audience, when they watch the film, they never really get to learn all of this backstory for this character, but the actor gets to learn about it so that they can embody this person. And there's just kind of background stuff, but the audience never really gets to see all of it. They only see like a smidgen of it. Is that kind of how that goes? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, not that we write like pages and pages and pages of the stuff, but there's definitely material that we can't really get into in card game form, but we're leaving on the table for like possible like novel adaptations or, you know, whatever else, um, whatever else they might be cooking up over at like Aconite, for example. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. We only have a paragraph at the at the back of their card to like make players acquainted with them but just by virtue of them being characters that were born out of our own imaginations we've got a lot more information in our noggins <laughs> about them and even that said like uh, going back to something that i talked about earlier i feel like the mechanics also portray what the character is and hopefully mm-hmm. like if we're doing it right the mechanics will tell you a lot of the story of who that character is even just through playing them Sure. Yeah. yeah. Super like, true. Calvin is a great example of that. That's yeah. Yeah. Calvin's a good mm-hmm. example. Actually, a perfect example is is Winnie. You open up mm-hmm. the, the the Winnie starter deck and you look at the back of her character card and there's you know a few lines of text and that's it. We wrote so much more about Winnie. We we basically like wrote her entire childhood, and then uh, in the latest um, oh what's the name of that novel? The Cursed Grimoire is that what it's called? Um, one of the Aconite novels, they had uh, Winnie appear in that novel. Mm-hmm. And so we gave them all of that information that we had that, like, players had never seen. Oh. Um, so that they had more to, like, draw upon. You know what I mean? That's and actually, so um, fascinating. Yeah. And um, ooh, even better example is all of the Coterie members. Um, mm. we, we made a very purposeful decision to keep... As much about each individual coterie member, a mystery as possible, even as you're meeting them and like learning about them, there's so much more that we're not telling you. And but we wrote it all down in like a story Bible. And um, when when it came time to do Secrets in Scarlet, we gave all of that information to the authors so that they could use them to craft those stories. Which you haven't read are great books. I think among my, my among my favorites is Mask of Silver, if you haven't read that one yet. Um, but this question is for Nick, coming from JP, who asks, uh, Nick, what's your favorite dinosaur and why? But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, uh, he asks, uh, what, would, what would make a good enemy for a scenario boss, in your opinion? Oh, um, well, my favorite dinosaur is the carnivore, (laughs) the Allosaurus. And the reason why is because it is a theropod that grew to be almost as large as like Tyrannosaurus Rex or Giganotosaurus, the really big ones. But it hunted in packs so that it could take down the 
the huge sauropods, the long neck dinosaurs. So it was really like it was in my mind, the apex predator and everything after that. They sure they got bigger, but they were much more solitary, uh, at least as far as we know. So Allosaurus by far is is my, is my favorite dinosaur. I would want to say that the Allosaurus would make a, a great boss. In <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> I would love to I would love to say that, but the circumstances would have to be pretty darn specific for that to be the case. <laughs> <laughs> so um, beyond that, I think I don't know, you know, like uh, I have a, a long history with tabletop role playing games. And one of my favorite things to do in any game system uh, was to create my own monsters um, and that kind of was born out of my, again, my love of monster movies and horror movies and all that is I love to create a creature and then an encounter that's designed around that creature and come up with the rules for what that creature can and cannot do and how that can be exploited by players. So it's really hard for me to say what would be a good boss, because in my mind, it kind of depends on the situation that I'm creating the boss to inhabit. and mm. also. I just enjoy making monsters so much on my own that I would I would probably want to come up with something original rather than, you know, be like, yeah, let's just plop an Allosaurus in there. As cool as it would be to have an Allosaurus in Arkham Okay, War. But if you could make your own Asaurus. Mm-hmm. A Nickasaurus? A Nickasaurus. Yes. <laughs> that might be a little too. No, you know what? Yeah, let's just go with it. A Nickasaurus. That sounds awesome. All this talk of dinosaurs, I was reading Call of Cthulhu Weird West, and there is actually a canonical reason to have dinosaurs in a Call of Cthulhu scenario. So, I mean, <laughs> not too <laughs> far <laughs> off. There is, if, if we really wanted to go down that path, there are definitely threads that we could pull on. Um, like, even the Forgotten Age played with timelines a lot. See? You know? yeah. So, so there's, there's the opportunity for it. But like I said, uh, it, would, it would be very... It, the circumstances would be, have to be just right for us to 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 include one. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> we are definitely not saying there's not a chance. Ooh. <laughs> oh, instead of Barkham Horror, it'd be like Roarham Horror. I don't know. I was trying to add something with dinosaurs in there. Barkham <laughs> or Arkham Roarer. Right. Ah, there you go. That's that's the one right there. That's way better. All right, well, I'll buy it. And a couple <laughs> extra copies. And then I want Nick to get in line uh, as the lead designer of that expansion so that he could say, like, hey, I'm supposed to get my copy. Do I just do I just get it from you here in this living? <laughs> now you must acquire a taste for freeform jazz. Uh, so earlier I had, uh, Maxine, Duke, and Nick, uh, answer some questions because we are going to do a specially formatted trivia to end the show. It's not going to really be information based on Arkham Horror, the card game. It's going to be information based on three of our favorite people who have been nice enough to join us for this podcast. Contestants will be... Nate Lost in Time and Space and Vase uh, Twisted Tentacle Innkeeper. We are missing the man from Lang, but that's okay because this is just for gicks and shiggles. Are we ready? Could you cue the music, please? Okay. 
Here we go. Did we even say the email Carolyn Fern the botanist? If anybody wants to get some free swag from base, did anyone say that? I mean, I think you just did. All right. Yeah. Sweet. Here we go. First question. Uh, Nate and Vase, you can raise your hand or speak up if you want to make your guess. You get one guess, uh, and there will be a couple bonus questions in there. When you get a bonus question, you may pick one of our three guests to be your lifeline. They can help you or not. Make sense? Okay. All right. Here we go. First question. Which of these three guests prefer dark chocolate over milk chocolate? Who wants to take a stab? Oh, my God. I'm having flashbacks of the last time we I'm played trivia. I'm going to go with Duke. Duke looks like a, a dark chocolate individual. Nate, do you have any guesses? Mm, I'm going to say Maxine. Duke is correct. Ah, yeah. out of nowhere. No, I to like swear. things. Duke is very worldly. I do love to live deliciously. We've had our time to do the fun talk. Now it's the trivia talk. We so, can't give away answers. My rationale was Maxine just eats investigators for dinner, and uh, <laughs> Nick Nick just drinks blood because of the blood feud. So there was only right, one logical choice. Dinosaur. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, next question. Who would not be able to play a real-life version of the Innsmouth Conspiracy as they are afraid of the deep ocean, underwater creatures, and caves and claustrophobia? Oh, wow. that's that's Nick, isn't it? Is that your guess? That's my I guess. Nick as well, Nick. I would say, Nick, both are wrong. Nick ah, about. I blame you. You seem so confident with that answer. <laughs> I ad- I admittedly I just assumed because they did consternation that facilophobia <laughs> was a thing, and I just assumed. Basically, you, sh- you should Hold know your not to trust bananas. Me. You ready for this one? Duke had said bugs, deep marshes, lobsters, bottomless pits, creepy haunted houses, which covers every campaign <laughs> in our horror. <laughs> I mean, we could throw some weird clown shit for you, Duke, but... Uh, <laughs> I'm a very scared intent. person. <laughs> That's okay. It's fine. Next Thank one. You me. ready? You're going to like what I did with this one. I, I used a little bit of my uh, English lit finesse. Who wants to explora, explora, or a bora? That would be Nick. <laughs> what? Yeah, what? <laughs> That's clearly a Nick answer. Can can you repeat that for the audience? And definitely not for me. I'm pretty sure I just said it. I said, who wants to explora, explora, or a bora? Or a bora. Yeah. Duh. Uh, You got a guess of Nick from Mr. Vase. Hey, who are you going to say? Oh, geez. Um, Wait, Bora Bora is a real place? What? Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I am, I am completely illiterate. One eternity later. Oh, my God. <sighs> what? This place is beautiful. Who wouldn't want to go here? Quit stalling and give us the answer. Uh, um, I'm going to say Maxine. I don't know. Okay. Uh, it was, in fact, Nick. I don't know how Told you me. know Nick so well, you <laughs> stalker. It's, uh... Good job, Vase. <laughs> It's the Anybody off the thing. top of your head know where Maxine would pick? Uh, I mean, come on. Uh, I would say Cuba, so we, we're going to go with that. Oh, uh, Chigao, yo. I would oh. say uh, <laughs> Panama. Chigao, <laughs> uh, Chigao. <laughs> 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 oh, God. Of course, your novel. Yeah, it's got to be Japan. Japan. Yeah, it's got to be Japan. <laughs> Next one. Here we go. 
Who wants to make some money by making an official blowgun? Oh, no, hold on a second. That one's scrapped. <laughs> um, That's a Nathan. Who made their first fully playable game in middle school? Whoa. Oh, that's that's Maxine. I remember that. I remember that from an interview years ago. <laughs> well, if you say why you know it, then Vase will say the same as um, an answer. It was Maxine. Everybody knows oh, that. Oh, you were tied because of over-information. <laughs> well played. Next. <laughs> Who almost died in an old Dutch mine in Papua when they were 16? And yes, they almost fell into a bottomless pit. Holy cannoli. Well, it, with the phobias, it must be Duke. Someone was listening because it sure yep. wasn't me. That is correct, Vase. Yep. Damn, that's that speaks to the phobia, duh. Mm-hmm. And uh, Vase, what? So when you, did you, you lived in New Guinea, or you were just visiting? Uh, yeah, we lived in New Guinea when I was uh, a kid and a teenager uh, up in Wamina, up in the Balin Valley. And cool. yeah, there was an old Dutch mine like an hour away from my house, and you knew it was Dutch uh, because you only had to pay half, and the mine paid the other half, or what? <laughs> <laughs> well played. <laughs> <laughs> I am learning so much tonight, honestly. This is right. incredible. <laughs> Who likes the color out of space? Or as the British say, the color out of space. Um, all of the above. It is, it's actually couleur. Couleur. God, what was that pronunciation, Nathan? That was great. I go right. Maxine, Nick, and Duke. That's the answer. Okay, pick one. You can't do all of the above. They all like that pick story. One. I know they do. Pick one. Well... It's Maxine. Uh, she got Maxine. Yes. What about yeah. you, Nate? Uh, I'm going to be contrarian and say Nick. He did Nick because Nick's been quiet and been very respectful. You are both wrong. It's Duke. Whoa! Ah, come on. <laughs> Whoa! He loves the wells and the bottomless pits. We've already talked about this. <laughs> wells for Duke. All right. Got another one for you. Who would pick Children of Time? Uh, by Adrian Tchaikovsky is one of their favorite books. Hint, it's a phenomenal sci-fi book about the fate of the human race in the vast reaches of the universe many thousands of years in the future. Who is Bloodfeud Nick? We have a guess of Nick. Nate. Yeah, that was my guess too, Nick. Boom, two points. Sci-fi. Right. Sure, that right up. Nick, we couldn't hide it yeah. from you. Right? Children of the so Corn. Good. Um, let's see, did I say blowgun? I did. Who would pick House of Leaves as one of their favorite books? Um, can we can we learn what exactly that book is about? I've never heard of it. Well, you're going to get it, and you're going to read it, and you're going to say thank you to the person whose name uh, should have been said <laughs> by now. I can't make an educated guess unless I know what it's about. Okay, Nate. But, uh, yeah, I've never heard of this. Scene. Maxine. Correct. Vase. Damn. I'm on a roll here. I'm getting crushed tonight, man. What the hell's going on here? Okay, what is it about, Maxine? What's what's that one about? Here's an easy one. You ready for a softball? Hold on, Nathan. No, now i got to talk about House of Leaves. House of Leaves is a meta story within a story within a story. And the story within the story within the story is about a uh, dude... uh, What's his name? Davidson? who purchases a house mm-hmm. um, that is larger on the inside somehow than on the outside. Ooh. And so he begins documenting all of the evidence about this weird, strange house that's defying the laws of nature and uh, w- winds up finding a whole sort of world inside the oh, house. Like a bottomless um, pit. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's crazy. It's awesome. Read it. Let me ask you this, Maxine. Dreams what color the is house. the word house in the book? 
What color is the word house? And my printing, every time the word house yeah. is written, it's blue. Yeah, I think Ooh. you have the you have the second print run. Mm. I originally read it the first print run, but I now own the second print run. Ah, um, yeah, no, it's so a cool should, book. It's definitely it. it's definitely crazy. Well, uh, who who was bitching about losing? Was that Nate? I'm just saying, I'm getting crushed, man. Hey, you've officially unlocked the first bonus question. Please pick Ooh. your uh, esteemed guest to be your lifeline. Uh, oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Um, I'm going to pick Duke for his worldliness. Okay, that was a, a good choice if this had been the <laughs> lifeline question that Duke would have known. Here's the question. On the BewareTheBlackCat.com website, how much Run. is a physical copy of Dark Drifters Adrift Apart? <laughs> Uh, nineteen ninety nine. Duke. Oh, I'm I'm supposed to also give my input. You are you are helping out because he chose you for this question. I mean, you know, you could go higher. I'm pretty sure it's one hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, wait, is it the physical version or the digital? It's version? The physical version. Uh, Adrift Apart is the short story compilation, so it's pretty cheap. I think it's. F- it's either four ninety nine or nine ninety nine. Need a final answer. I think it's I think it's nine ninety nine. Okay, it's now four ninety nine. Uh, <laughs> tell us just a tiny bit about that. So when we did the Kickstarter for my book, um, which is called uh, The Key and the Crescent, one of the reward tiers, one of the like the the highest tier, was I'll write a short story based on a dream that you've had, and I had about eight people, I think. Uh, take that tier. So I was like, cool, now I have to write eight short stories. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to write an anthology, and I'm going to tie them together. And I released that separately as uh, a drift apart. Awesome. And uh, uh, that's good. Everybody that's listening, please check out BewareTheBlackCat.com and yeah. pick up your copy, physical or digital, of Dark Drifters and Dark Drifters Adrift Apart, because everything that Maxine Newman does is worth supporting. All right, uh, next question. Hey, well, I, I'd like to state for the record, I did actually get the physical price of Keen the Crescent right. So, yeah, you did. Well, that's, that's not what the question was. I believe right. that was not the question. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it was. He cut out when he said it drifted apart, so I don't know. No cheating. Mm-hmm. Who has been a bike builder and participated in Rag- Ragbray, the Register's annual Great Bicycle Race across Iowa? Iowa? Oh, I was going to say Nick, but... I guess he could cross the border. I'm going to stick with Nick. Uh, All Canadians weird ride the bike. Say, yeah. <laughs> All Canadians ride Nick, the bike. Nate, who are you saying? Oh, I thought this was a basic question. Uh, uh, I don't know. Oh, you have three people to choose from. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Duke. Hmm. Nick, what do you think? Uh, it was me. I participated in Rag Bride one year. Uh, Chuck. That, that was all I needed. <laughs> was just <laughs> riding across Iowa once. They do it every year. I did it once. Um, it's quite the experience. That's awesome. Uh, next, whose favorite color is black? Oh, sorry. Whose second favorite color is black? Not first, second. Mm. Good luck. I'm going to go with Maxine. I was going to go with Maxine. You I would say Magenta well, being the get first. A point, which unlocks another <laughs> bonus question. Is Magenta the first favorite Eight. color? Maybe. Uh, pink. Pink. Base, close, you get close. to pick one of our three esteemed guests to help you out on this one. Okay. I'm going to go with Nick. Hey, 
Well, you might have gotten lucky. In the Astral Tides universe. <laughs> this is rigged just like last time. I couldn't hear the question because Nate keeps cheating and blocking you from asking it. That in the Astral Tides universe, the first full adventure module is titled The Bones of What? Feel free to ask your lifeline. Okay, Nick, the bones of what? <laughs> that is and uh that is the bones of Rockyron. Oh my god, mm. the knowledge these people have. All right, back to general questions. It's really funny. Which of our three guests could not choose a favorite video game between Super Metroid, Chrono Trigger, or Resident Evil? Maxine. Um, I no, I think Maxine mentioned that when she was younger, Resident Evil is one of the top ones. So I'm going to go with Duke. <laughs> That's awesome. Maxine is correct. Yeah, oh, I finally got yeah. one. Let's go. Yeah, All right. we're Resident Evil was one of them. <laughs> I was going to so say, like, the... There- the first chapter of Key and the Crescent, the, the main character is like talking about speed running Super Metroid. Yeah. Someone's trying to get bonus points. Next. <laughs> Who couldn't pick a, favorite, uh, a second favorite color between green and purple? Well, we know it's not Maxine, so. Uh, Maybe. It's Duke. Uh, Nate, what do you think? I'm going to say Nick. Nick is correct. Yeah. And that actually leads us into our final bonus question. You ready for this? Please pick one of our three uh, guests for your lifeline. You talking to me? Uh, still Maxine. In. I pick Maxine. Uh, still talking to Nate. Ah, I got him. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to pick Maxine. Yeah, pick Maxine. All right. What is the mascot for Wheaton College located in Illinois? Oh, God damn it. <laughs> oh, what kind of questions are these? Uh, <laughs> one of our one of our guests went to Wheaton College. That's a likely excuse. Mm. Mm. I, Why don't you ask your lifeline? Oh gosh, Maxine, do you know the mascot of Wheaton College? I don't know. Why I don't know I where know? that is. Let alone <laughs> let with the mascot. Chime in for a bonus point. Um, oh, Willie the Blue. <laughs> <laughs> Any of our guests know? Oh, I mean, I of course do. Yeah, what is it? Well, up until my sophomore year, it was the Crusaders, and now it's the Thunder. It became, yeah, oh Thunder now. Extra bonus point. Does Wheaton College have an improv group? I'm going to say yes. Yes. Oh, no, I'm asking directly to Duke. Oh, come on. Uh, yes, they do. And how do you know this, sir? Uh, I was the president of that club for a little while. Well, that's and crazy. I, what are the chances? Problem. Whoa. Wow. And the best part is none of these bonus questions were asked to them. So they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, one more for you. Who couldn't pick a favorite book slash graphic novel between Kafka on the Shore or the Sandman books by Neil Gaiman? Uh, that's, I think that's a Nick answer. Oh. I'm going to say Duke. Duke is correct. Yeah. Tying up the points. Um, looking here. Oh, it's close. We have a three-way tie. Maxine, Duke, and Nick. Congratulations. 
No, I always come off as a total prick uh, whenever I do trivia, but I just have love having fun with people. Uh, thank you very much for answering the questions, uh, for taking the time to be on the show. Thank you to my fellow hosts for being amazing human beings and uh, doing how many episodes are we up to? Like 300 something? Um, no, because we only meet every three months now. <laughs> oh, okay. That, maybe 30? Numbered episodes. I think we're on 33 or 32. Yeah. yeah I mean, if you count the reviews. Busters, I don't even know what they're at. Yeah, I mean, our rev- I think we have like an equal number of reviews and then yeah. all the other playthrough episodes. There, there's stuff in between, mm. to be fair. Mm. True. <laughs> I awesome. hear everyone groaning in the anyway, background. Anyway, thank you. Thank you very much. We'll we'll call everybody a winner. You're a winner in my heart, Nathan. Well, I think with that, we'll uh we'll wrap up the episode for tonight. Uh, I want to give a huge thank you to all three of you for taking the time to to take the time to answer people's questions it was it was really a, a treat to have you all on yeah thanks, thanks for having us yeah. yeah thank you so i think with that uh we'll go ahead and wrap up the episode i've been your host Huzzah! nate of course nathan always has to interrupt with the, with the outro <laughs> well, the I apologize. Go right ahead. Whoever wants to go next. <laughs> i've been your host nate hey, why Lef- don't you go first oh my god i'm gonna kill you <laughs> I don't, I don't think everyone knows the song. It's uh, <laughs> there is no song. <laughs> 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 MST3K sound. All right, thank Dang. you. Much, much appreciated. <laughs>